open your Bibles to, to uh, Mark chapter 14, please. Mark chapter 14. And look with me at verse 32. You know, hey, thank you, John. And, and uh, you know, today is, and as Gracie was saying, today is, is, uh, is, is special for her for two reasons. Number one is uh, um, it's Palm Sunday. And it's a special day on the calendar, right? Now, is it really your birthday? Didn't you just have a birthday last month? I'm just kidding around. And today is her birthday, so happy birthday, Gracie. And she's a big 12, big 12. <laughs> All right, but if we come back, and today is, is, is Palm Sunday, and that was, that's the triumphal entry of our Savior. That's when he come into to Jerusalem, and he come to present himself as the Messiah. Now, everybody listen to me. This is truth. This is, this is why we do what we do here today, because of what Jesus delivered, you know, 2,000 years ago. And then next week, we're going to be, be remembering that he rose again from the grave. Everybody say amen. And so all all of this, this whole week, this triumphal entry this week meant a whole lot. And so, so we're going to fast forward a little bit here. So he comes into Jerusalem and uh, he comes in on the donkey and they're putting out the palm branches, which, which meant that they receive him, that that's a peace. It's, it's, it's to represent peace. And they're crying Hosanna, meaning God save us. So they recognized him as God. And, and they, and they, all these Jews were laying out these palm branches and uh, it's a really exciting time. And and as the week goes, you know, he goes from place to place. They have the, the, the Lord, Lord's Supper. He talks to the disciples. He tells them that he's going to be leaving, that he's going to be betrayed. He, he goes through all this with them. And then we see that, uh, that next week that that, that that same crowd that cried, Hosanna, God save us, and believed and accepted him and put out those branches are the same crowd that said, crucify him. Because like John alluded to, they wanted a Messiah to come and kick out the Romans and and make them in charge and bring heaven to earth, but that wasn't the plan of our Savior Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the law of Moses was all about him coming and being that perfect sacrifice and going to that perfect sanctuary, which is in heaven. So we find on the eve of his crucifixion, we come to the place in the garden. Look at verse 32. Now here's the disciples. And these are his 12 chosen. He has spent three and a half years with these cats, teaching them, training them, them watching him. I mean, you know, go all the way back, if you will, to where Jesus was being tempted by Satan. Remember how many times he was tempted? Three times. And from then, he, he worked with and trained the disciples. And now, in the most needed time that Jesus had, and he's most trusted men, this is where we're at. I want you to listen to the language here. Jesus Christ was 100% man, but 100% God. Okay? Now, you say, what does that mean, Brother Fox? That, that means that he was born of flesh. He had to be born of flesh. But he was also God incarnate. So, so he felt a lot of things just as you and I feel. And I was talking to one church parishioner this morning and, and someone died that's real close to her. And she's just feeling this, this gut wrenching pain that hurts so much. And she doesn't know what to do with it. And, and, and I just want you to, we've all felt that before, right? We've been disappointed. We've gone through sorrowful times. We've been, but Jesus was hundred percent man and he felt all of these things. 
And so, and so he goes to the garden and he goes to pray. And um, because the task was very heavy, it's we're going to see here in just a minute. And he's depending on his disciples to do a certain task, and they don't even do it. Supposed to be watching for him, praying for him. But they couldn't even do it because their priorities were wrong, because they were selfish, and it was more about them than anything else. Now, the good news is, is that after Jesus' resurrection, his priorities became their priorities, and they set the world on fire because they got their priorities right. Because what was important to Jesus became important to them. Now, look with me at verse 32, and I want you to read this text, and I want you to listen like you've never read it before. This is the true account of our Savior. This, this, is, this is the true account of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 32, they, which is Jesus and all 12 disciples, including Judas Iscariot, the one who betrays him, okay? So they come to the place named Gethsemane. Now, that's, that's, that's a, the origin of this word is Aramaic, and it means um, olive press. And it's kind of fitting because, because, because Jesus is going to be pressed in, this, in these hours that he's in the garden. Now, t- today we know that this, this Garden of Gethsemane is very, very popular. It's, it's got a lot of notoriety, you know, it's very well known. But back in that day, it wasn't. It was just a garden. It was an olive garden, um, and it's and it had a fence around it. It had a gate on it, and it probably belonged to somebody that Jesus knew. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane was located right between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. And so, um, you know, again, uh, thank the God, I've, I've, I've got to go there several times, and I've got to, to pray in the very garden that Jesus got to pray in. And in my office, I have olive branches from those, from, from, from olive trees in that same garden. And there are actual olive trees in that garden that were there 2,000 years ago. I'm not lying to you. These, these, these olive trees had, had died, and then, of course, when Israel became a nation again, they rebudded. I mean, God is just God. It's, it's an incredible thing. And, and so there's, there's, there's one olive tree in there that's got a trunk on it, you know, this big around, and it's rebudded. But that garden is still there. And, and so this is the place where Jesus would often go to spend time with the Father, Okay, and so look at what it says. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. Now, notice verse 33. It's very revealing here. I want you to see this. So he comes to the gate and he has all 12 disciples and he's saying, I want you to stay here. Okay, and then in verse 33, it says that he took with him Peter and James and John. Now, these were the same three disciples, everybody pay attention, that he took to the Mount of Transfiguration. And do you remember what these three disciples did on the Mount? And I thank Beth Moore, y'all, she taught on this, and, and, but they slept through part of it, didn't they, Nanette? Yeah, the same three guys. 
And now we're going to see him sleep through this most pressing time. Everybody look. Why it's important is because Jesus goes to this garden. He knows what he has to do. That he's going to take our sins upon him. He's going to take that cup and he's going to drink it. And that cup here in this text represents our sin. Our, our, our gossiping, our hatred for people, our unforgiveness. And you, you just name the sin of the world, and that's what the cup is that he knows that he has to take. He's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And he knows that this is what the will of the Father is. And we know what Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 says, that before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ was going to be, that sacrifice for us. But nevertheless, this cup was heavy. And we're going to look at some language here in a minute. But he knew it. And, and, and we see in this text that, that his body was, that, that because he's 100% man, and there is this spiritual heaviness and there is this emotional heaviness. And he says that he was even close unto death. Have you ever felt like that sometimes, that your world gets turned up so upside down and you just feel like this world is so heavy that you just feel like that you could just die at any moment? Maybe you haven't. I don't think that I really have, but I know people that have. I've gotten to the point where I felt so heavy that I didn't feel like I can get out. But, but Jesus here in this text, it says that he was agonized, that it was heavy because of this cup. Look at the text with me. And, he, and here's my point. Everybody, look, he's in love with us. He's in love with you. And this is why he took that cup. And we're going to get to the, back to the disciples here in a minute for our prayer watch. But I just want you to see just, just how, what an amazing time this was in the garden. And how it should have been an amazing time for these disciples. Because they're watching God himself going through the most horrific and heavy time. They're seeing the Lord fixing to take the sin of the world. And they go to sleep. They were told about it. They knew what was happening. You know, we know that the world is going to die and people are going to go to hell without Jesus Christ. We know that. But we don't get the job done. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Okay, he says, and look at the language. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be very distressed and troubled emotionally and spiritually. And he said to them, look at it here. He says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them, and talking about Jesus, and look at it. Remember, he is 100% man, and I, 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 but he's also 100% God. I just want you to get that. I want you to understand that that was imperative, that, that, there, was, that there was this kenosis, that there was this hyperstatic union of God and man, that there had to be a self-emptying, but there also had to be this you, you unite with, this, with the incarnate Christ. There, it had to be this way. It was prophesied to be this way. And he went a little bit beyond them, talking about those three disciples. And he fell to the ground and he began to pray. And he said that if it were possible, um, the hour might pass him by. In Matthew chapter 26, it talks about, again, that cup. 
And he was saying, look at it, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So this word Abba, we know that Paul used it in the book of Romans. And we know that that word Abba, which is also Aramaic, um, it, it means uh, in, that this is an intimate word. And it means in our language, it means daddy. OK, now your Jewish household in that time would have never used that word Abba for God. They would have never done it. But that word Abba was used in the household of the term of endearment towards their father. But aren't you glad in the name of Jesus Christ that we can have that kind of intimate relationship with God? We can call him, as Paul says, Abba Father. We can be that intimate with him because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and that he rose again from the grave. Isn't that wonderful news, folks? And he was saying, Abba, Father, look at it. All things are possible for you. In other words, God, you can do anything. And he says, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. Jesus wasn't trying to get out of going to the cross by any means. It could be looked at two different ways. He could have been saying, you know what, God, if there's any other way besides this, go ahead and do it. But you know what, uh, uh, Lord, you know, I'm here to do your will. Remember, he's heavy. Remember, he's distressed. Remember, he's grieved almost unto what it says here, unto death. And what he's saying is, is one or two ways you can look at it. Number one is, Lord, you know, if there's another way, go ahead and do it. Um, you know, but just know that your will will be done. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Everybody say amen. But another way that you can, might look at this too, and we won't know everything about this until we get to heaven, but it could have been that because it says that he was, he was grieved almost unto death, he could have been saying, God, um, you, all, you can do all things. I don't want to, I can't die right here. But remember, he's 100% man. Uh, remember that, you know, so he, he can die, okay? Um, he can. And so, so he, he's feeling it. And so he could have been just saying, you know what, God, now's not not the time. I can't die right now. Let's, 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 I got to work through this because I've got to go to the cross. And I kind of think that's what he was saying. Can I have an amen? And then he says, and he came and, and it says, and he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? And, you know, of course we know that this word Simon, he's talking about Peter. Simon was his old name. Peter was his new name. Peter means rock. And I forgot what Simon means, but but it it had to do with, with being fleshly. And so he didn't call him by his Christian name. He calls him by his old name. You get to see that? That's a, that's a big deal right there. And then it says, verse 38, he says, keep watching and praying that you may not come into, look at it, what is underline it, into temptation. Now this is what all of us need to understand. We all need to be in prayer. We all need to have a close relationship in our prayer life with Abba Father. Why? Because temptation is right around the corner. He was telling them to keep watch, to be alert, to be in prayer for him, be in prayer for the situation, to be in prayer for those that were going to be affected by it, but instead he fell asleep. He's saying that if you would just stay up and pray and think of God and his priorities, then you won't give into temptation when it comes your way. That's why it's so important that we pray and that we keep watch, that we make God our priorities, because listen to me, temptation is just right around the corner. Can I? Yes? 
And then he says, and again he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come that he's going to be betrayed and arrested and ultimately taken to Golgotha and be hung from a cross into the hands of sinners. Look at verse 42. He said, get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Lord, we love you this morning. We just thank you for your perfect and fallible word. And Lord, I pray this morning, this as we, we go through this week and getting ready for, for this, you know, the day that we celebrate your resurrection, we should celebrate that every day. But of course, Lord, it's Easter Sunday that we remember um, what you went through and the grueling and the grieving and the distress. And, and Lord, to understand that we too have a job to do and, and that's to watch. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll just open the text up to our mind and to our ears. And Lord, that we can just be, be, be better disciples for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So number one and point number one on our screen, and we've talked mostly about it, but number one, it was a place of trial for the Lord. It was a place of pressing. And just like the Garden of Gethsemane was, was called this, this olive press, this is very pressing for the Lord. I want you to see here, and just to remember, we've already talked about it, but there were internal pressures. And the very language of these verses reveals the truth that Jesus Christ was in a time of intense, um, intense emotional, and spiritual Trial. Look at verse 33. It says that he was very troubled. Um, the phrase means to be struck with this great terror. I mean, everybody, everybody look at me just for a minute. Can you, can you just, just imagine that the sinless man was going to take on the sins of the whole world, your sins, my sins. Can you imagine how that could, you know, how that would feel to a sinless person? And, and listen to me, it's not just that he was taking on the sins and the filth and the shame and the disgust of all of it, but the worst part about it was is that he knew that his father couldn't have anything to do with them when he took on this. Look, God cannot look upon sin, and so he knew that when Jesus, when he was going to take on the sin of the world, that his father would not be in it anymore and that was the worst thing about it but he said lord not my will but yours you know when we go about our every day and we're supposed to be working and doing for him i I think we ought to let this sink into our minds a little bit everybody say amen that 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 he took our sins so that we wouldn't have to this so that we could have a relationship with god amen so This wording here, terror, yes, because of what he had to do. It says that he was very distressed. And again, it speaks of the condition of the great distress and the anguish that he was going through. But while Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the body he lived in was a frail human body just like ours. And as he prayed that night, that emotional and spiritual pressure that came upon Jesus were almost more than his body could handle. But he did handle it. Everybody say amen. Number two, it was also a place of prayer. Notice Jesus leaves, again, eight of these men at the gate of the garden. He takes three of them deeper with him into the garden. He tells these three, Peter, James, and John, to wait for him to watch and while he goes to pray. 
Now, again, this word watch, it means to give strict attention to something. It means to be alert. These men, again, were to keep their eyes open for trouble, and they were to pray with him and probably for him, and they were just to take care of him. And then we see that Jesus went deeper into the, into the garden to pray. And I want you to look at his prayer just for a moment here, and then we're going to get into these priorities, okay? Notice the object of his prayer. Notice that Jesus prostrated himself onto the ground, and he began to call on his father. Also, Jesus prayed. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. He says, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Look, Jesus, again, wasn't trying to avoid the cross. He knew he had to accomplish it for us. This is about Jesus and about the cross. Now, let me say this this morning, that, that that's what Jesus did for us, to take our sins and to take them upon himself so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. Now, if you're here this morning, and if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, why not today? Huh? Why not today? As we're going through this text, look at what Jesus has done for you. If you're here this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I pray that God just calls upon your heart that you'll give him your life, that you'll have a personal relationship with him. This is what he came to do, and this is what he accomplished, and this is what we celebrate should be every day. But we know that this week is a special time because we remember exactly what he did for us, and he died for our sins. He took our sins so that we wouldn't have to. And so if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, perhaps the day is today that you can do that. And again, I want you to notice that he said, I will. He said that he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. Now, think about how he prevailed in that garden. You know, look, he could have walked away from from us that night. He could have done it. No one was forcing him to die. No one was forcing him to become sin for us. No one was forcing him to do what he did. But he did it willingly, and he did it so that we might have a way to be saved. He did it so that when a lost soul cries out to God the Father, the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior, that there could be salvation available for him. He did it because he loved us. He did it so that we would not have to go to hell. I'm so thankful that he endured the pain and paid the price so that we might be saved. And again, I ask you, have you ever believed Jesus Christ? Are you saved by his grace? Has his death become your death? Has his blood washed away your sins? Do you know him as your personal savior? If not, then you need to come to him this morning and not put it off. Because eternity is is at risk here for you. And Christian, if you're here, if you've done that, then you need to make it real in your life. Number three. It was a place of prayer. It was a place of trial. But number three, it's also a place of priorities. A place of priorities. As Jesus prayed in the garden that night, again, there were two sets of priorities that are being played out. Jesus had his priorities and the disciples had theirs. Now remember, after these next four days, their priorities 
are going to change. Amen? They learned how to watch. And we need to learn how to watch. So notice, first of all, the priorities of the master here, of Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus had one overriding, overarching priority in his life. And we see it right here in the text. It says that he lived to do the will of the Father. That was his overarching, this was the priority that ran everything for him. Boy, wouldn't it be a great place to live if all of us would have that one overarching priority, and that was to do the will of the Father. If I would be the best husband, I'm telling you, um, um, I'd be the, if I did that, I'd be the best husband. And if my wife did that, she'd be the best wife, wouldn't she? Now, she's already, you know, don't go, she's a nursery, don't go tell her or anything. But, but just think, just think, just think what it would be like if we all was in the will of the Father. Man, we would be witnessing to people, we would be helping people, um, we would be working hard in the church and outside of the, the, the church building, and I mean, we would be sending missionaries everywhere, I mean, we would be giving, we would be doing, if, we, if, 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 if our overarching priority was the will of the Father, would it would be different, wouldn't it? And so, as we come to our prayer watch this coming Friday... That's one of the big things that we want you to see is that there is the will of the Father. And we want during this prayer watch that between today and and there that you'll be in the perfect will of the Father. Everybody say amen. You'll you'll go through the different stations of holiness and of forgiveness. And, and, you know, looking about thanksgivingness, about being thankful. And we're going to be going through all these things so we can be in the will of the Father. So please, sign that list as it comes by to you. But his overarching priority was to be in the will of the Father. So the cross of Calvary and the death of Christ on that cross, again, it was never in question. Jesus came to the world to die for sin. Now, notice lastly, the priorities of his men. Now, listen close because this is it. While Jesus is praying and wrestling with the greatest load any man had to ever carry, the disciples are asleep. Jesus commanded them to watch, but they are tired and they fall asleep. These same three men slipped through, slept through again the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, and now they sleep through the greatest spiritual struggle the world has ever witnessed. These men had the privilege of watching the great high priest of heaven as he approached the Father in the Holy of Holies. They had a privilege no other man had ever enjoyed, and they slept through it all. What a tragedy! I'm here to tell you this morning that there are so many Christians that are doing the same thing today. There are things that we could be doing. There are things happening out there in the world, and we're not doing them, and we're just sleeping while this time goes by us. It says in Romans chapter 13, it says, it says the, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. He's saying, awake from your slumber because we need to be watchmen. We sleep through it, we sleep through it, and we sleep through it, and we don't make God's priorities our priorities. Now look, I'm going to tell you, these disciples, I mean, they've had a long 
four days. I mean, Jesus had taken them from this place to this place to this place, and they haven't gotten much sleep. Can I, can I, can you, yes? They haven't gotten much sleep. They've been told all these disturbing things. It, Jesus told them about heaven, and he told them, I'm going to be leaving here, and I'm going to go to a place. And they said, we want to go with you. And he said, you can't go with me. But one day you can. And, and so they've heard all of these things. They acted like they didn't believe one word that he said. Could these men have been depressed? Could they have been, could they have been just sleep depraved? Absolutely 100%. But that's no excuse to be sleeping on your watch. There's no excuse for anybody to be sleeping. Their priorities I want you to look at them with me just for a moment. Let me back up to verse 37. And Jesus returns, you know, you know, three times. And um, I think Jesus was under great um, satanic attack here. You know, when when Jesus was attacked. And in, in, in the first part of his ministry by Satan, he, when he was tempted, he was tempted how many times? Three times. And how many times did he go pray and come back and pray and go back and pray and go back? Three times. I believe he was under great satanic attack. He needed his disciples. Remember, he's God, but he's also 100% man. He, he, he needed them. And I want you to see that, that when he comes back, he calls, he calls, again, Peter Simon in verse 37. And this was Peter's old name, and I did write it down here. And it means to hearken or to listen. Peter hadn't listened to the Lord, and he wasn't acting like the new man, Peter, the rock. He was acting like the old man, Simon. He wasn't acting like the rock. So Peter had just boasted, look at it in verse 31, that he was going to die with Jesus. And now he can't even stay awake while the Lord prays for one hour. You know, I believe that Jesus warns his men to be watchful and prayerful because the time of temptation and trial is coming their way, and they will need spiritual help to make it through that time of testing. Little did they know how soon that prediction would come true. But Jesus goes away and he prays twice more. And each time he returns, he finds them still sleeping. And this passage teaches us that his men walked under a different set of priorities than he did. He lived to fulfill the Father's will. And they lived to gratify themselves and to meet their own needs. The lesson from this passage is clear. And here it is. Jesus achieved victory because he was vigilant and he was diligent in his, in his obedience to God. He leaned on his father and his father gave him the victory. His man leaned on themselves. And when their time came for testing, they failed. Look with me at um, Mark chapter 14. Look with me at verse 50. I want you to look at their at their progressive downfall. First, look with me at verse verse thirty one. First of all, they were self confident. They thought they could stand in their own power. 
And then in verse 37, it says, and we've read that they slept. And then I want you to look at verse 50. Now, here's the story. Here's the disciples. And they're take, they're, they've been taken in the garden. And they've been told to watch. He comes back. They're sleeping. He tells them to wake up and watch. He goes back and he prays. He comes back. They're sleeping. He tells them to wake up and pray. He goes and he comes back and they're sleeping again. He says, the hours come. Let's go. All right. And so now he says, he says, I'm fixed to be betrayed. And then the Bible says that they go out and sure enough, he's betrayed. He's 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 being arrested. And then we see in verse 50 that when it come time to see who is going to stand by the Lord, what does it say in verse 50? And they all left him and fled. You see, if their priorities would have been the same priorities as God, as Jesus had, and that was to do the will of the Father, they wouldn't have fled. Can I have an amen? But because they were self-confident, because they slept, because they sinned, now their testimony has been destroyed. And I'm... Here's the point. If they would have stayed up and prayed, I think it would have made all the difference in the world. If they would have stayed up and prayed for that one hour and been in the will of the Father, and then as Jesus said in verse 30, 38, that they would have not given in to temptation. See, if we're going to be the best watchmen, if we're going to be the best disciples, if we're not going to, if we're going to make sure that we don't give into temptation, we've got to have that prayer life. And so, so listen, we need to all have our prayer life. And so we want you to sign up. We want you to, to start that time with our prayer watch this, this Saturday at 6 p.m. to Saturday at 6 p.m. Amen. We all need to be the watchmen, and to be the best watchmen, we have to have our priorities right where they need to be, and that is simply to do the will of the Father. All right? Let's bow our heads, and we'll ask the band to come up. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where this where this text finds you this morning, but I think that if this passage really demands anything from us at all, I think it really demands our worship. And when we think of all that he endured for us that night, it should drive us to our knees in worship and to admiration. It should fill our hearts with praise, shouldn't it? I mean, just what he endured in the garden. What he endured on the cross, our sin, our shame. Taken out of the presence of God so that we can have a chance for eternity with God. You see, right now, even if you're born again here this morning, if you're born again this morning... I guarantee you that not one of you is going to go a day or two without some kind of sin. And you see, God can't look at sin, and God can't have a relationship with you with sin. But because you called upon Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, He takes that sin from you so that at any moment, 
you can have a relationship with God so that you can have his blessings, so that you can have the promises fulfilled to you. So God never looks down upon you and sees you as this black, sinful person because Jesus was obedient. In the Garden of Gethsemane, to the cross and up from the grave. You see, we have a mediator between us and God and his name is Jesus Christ. That should give us reason to praise him. That should give us reason to prostrate ourselves to him. That should give us reason to to admonish his word and to do his will. Again, if you're here this morning and if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, eternity is at stake. And know that God can't look upon you because of sin. And the only way that you can have a relationship with him is for you to call upon Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Profess him with your mouth, but believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God and he's been raised from the grave. Father, we love you this morning, and I pray that you'll just have your way in our hearts. And Lord, we just um, are just full of gratitude this morning and thank thankfulness for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we go through this week and we ponder about what he must have went through, that, that it'll cause us to worship you and to thank more of our salvation than just a commodity but that it's a personal relationship. And Lord, that we've been left just like the disciples to be watchful. Lord, let us be watchful for you. Let us do our part. Let us be um, in your will and not doing our will, but doing your will. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, stand with me just for a moment. And as we have our time to do